This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Good morning, Austin Life Church. So glad you're with us this morning. Uh, what an amazing time of worship we've just had, uh, declaring the truths of God, de- declaring the promises of God, to just lifting Him up, uh, praying prayers together, crying out for Him. Uh, that's what worship is this morning as we sing, just our response to Him. So very grateful. If we haven't met yet, my name is Chris. I'm one of the worship pastors at uh, Gateway Church in Franklin, Tennessee, just south of Nashville. So greetings from Nashville. Uh, we are glad you're here, no matter where you're at in the world and or in the city of Austin this morning. Um, I'm a friend of Mike and Corey's. Thanks for the invite to them for being here. Normally, I'm the guy that's leading worship, playing guitar and leading songs, and I've had the opportunity to lead a few times here at, at ALC. But today, uh, I get to teach on something that I'm really passionate about, and that's worship. Uh, worship is one of those things that I love reading about, love studying, love always, obviously leading it as well. But I love really helping the church in itself understand what worship is. And so I pray today that's where, that's where we all press in together is just a better understanding of what the Word of God has to say about worship. One of my favorite definitions of worship comes from a guy by the name of Louis Giglio. If you're familiar with the Passion Movement at all out of Atlanta, uh, Louis is kind of the, the lead architect, lead visionary of that, and also the pastor of Passion City Church there in Atlanta as well. But he, one of my favorite definitions uh, is this. He says, worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is, what he has done, expressed in and by the things that we say and the way that we live. I mean, a full encompassing definition of worship right there in, in a couple sentences. I love it. But at the core, it really is taken out of what Jesus has to say about worship. And that's what I want to look at today is how does Jesus define worship? If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd love for you to take them and open up to the book of Mark. We're going to be hanging out in Mark chapter 12, uh, starting in verses 28 uh, through 30, just for a moment. Before we do that, let me pray over us as we open up His word. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that is powerful, that is alive, that is, that is able to speak to us even right in this moment. Words that were penned thousands of years ago that still has power to speak to us in this moment. So Father, I pray that's what it does. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28 through 30, it says this, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he, he being Jesus, answered them well, asked him, What commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So let me give you a little context to where what we're reading this morning. See, Jesus, Jesus is in the last days of his ministry before he goes to the cross. And some of the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, some of the temple leaders at that time, uh, have rallied around Jesus in this moment. And they're asking him some questions about some of the hot topics of the day. Everything from paying taxes and uh, raising people from the dead. And they're trying to trip Jesus up a little bit in conversation, hopes maybe to have something against him. And that leads us to this part of Mark chapter 12, where the scribe, or some may have thought he was a lawyer, but he was a religious teacher of the day, has come to Jesus and has, has really come with a sincere question for Jesus in this moment. Um, 
when others are trying to kind of corner him and, and, and trick him up, this guy has come on the scene and goes, look, no, no, let me, let me ask you something that's been burning in me. And this is probably a question that was burning in a lot of them, but none of them really had the guts to ask it until this guy showed up. This is, again, what it says. And one of the scribes, this guy we've been talking about, came up and heard from them, heard them disputing with one another. So they're arguing with Jesus and arguing with each other. And seeing that Jesus answered all of them so well, the scribe asks, what command is the most important of them all? You see, religious leaders of that day were obsessed with commandments. That's really what their job was. They were, they were to, com- to keep the commands, to explain the commandments. There were over 613 individual commandments that these religious leaders had to keep up with. But this scribe, this, this, he wanted to know what the most important one was. What rises to the top out of all of these commandments? And so he decides, I'll ask Jesus. Maybe Jesus knows this. This is the burning question, I'll ask Jesus. So Jesus answers them in verse 29. He says, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. In verse 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You see, Jesus didn't just pull this answer out of thin air. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He, he was reaching back to the book of Deuteronomy and in, in the Old Testament, and he quotes this, what the Jewish culture knew as the Shema. The Shema came out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, and this is going to sound familiar because Jesus knew what he was talking about, obviously. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. See, the Shema was the central prayer of the Jewish people. It was the central prayer of the Jewish prayer book, and it's the very first section of Scripture that Jewish children would, would learn every single, every single time you know, they, they would get together. They would rep- repeat it two times a day. They would, it, was their, it was their statement of faith that they anchored into. They valued it so much that they carried it around with boxes attached to, to, them, to their hands and to their forehead. And they literally would attach it to their homes as a constant reminder of this statement of faith. And that really comes out, again, out of Scripture. If we, if we keep combing down um, Deuteronomy to chapter 11, it says this. It says, fix these words of mine on your hearts and in minds. Uh, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So Jesus, again, was he was quoting something very familiar that the scribe, when he heard it, would know. Like It's almost like Jesus was saying, hey, dude, you know this already. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength. So let's pause right there. Let's just kind of unpack that for a minute, what it means to love God. Because really what I'm, what I'm driving at this morning is that Jesus is defining worship in this statement. A statement that had been around for hundreds of years, back to the Old Testament. Jesus is reminding this current Jewish culture in that time, hey, this is the greatest commandment. This is what it means to love God. With all, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is what it means to love God and worship Him. So let's break it apart. We don't have a whole lot of time this morning to break it completely apart, but I want to just kind of hit the highlights. Love God with all of your heart. I'm not talking about that organ that's, that's, that's pumping deep inside of you, blood all, you know, all through your body at the moment. No, I'm talking about um, the very part of you that holds your 
emotions and holds your desires and holds your affections. Now let's hang out on that word for a minute, affections. You see, affections are simply the things that steer our lives. So think about a boat. You've got this mammoth boat, like a Titanic-sized ship, and it's massive. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of yards, football fields long. I mean, it's massive, but it's controlled by where it goes by this, in comparison to the size of the ship, this tiny rudder. And so when the captain turns this way, the rudder will help the ship go this way, and it steers the ship this this way. And that's exactly what our affections do. They steer our lives. So what are our affections? Well, they're simply the things that maybe that occupy our time. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's um, maybe it's a hobby. Maybe, maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's laziness. Maybe that's what it, maybe that's what drives your life. Uh, affections are what motivates our actions. It's it's what we wake up in the morning thinking about the very first thing. You want to know what your first affection is, church? It's what you think about the very first thing in the morning. That's what's driving your day. See, where our affections are is where our heart is also. In fact, Scripture says that, Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I love what Paul says about this in Philippians. See, Paul, if you're not familiar with Paul, he had the most radical conversion experience. He was one that would ridicule and persecute and even kill Christians. And and Jesus came to him one day in the book of Acts and said, hey, change your ways. And he completely changed his life. So much so that he changed his name from Saul to Paul. So he understood this idea of, of what it meant to flip the idea of what you what steers your life, what where you place your affections. And in Philippians 3, he writes this. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, Paul found a treasure in Jesus. He realized that everything besides Christ was complete rubbish, garbage. In fact, I think if you get in the Greek, I'm not the most Greek scholar person ever, but it means like dung. Like everything else is like dung, trash, compared to knowing Christ. He switched his affections and Jesus drove his life. So what's the second part here? We said, Jesus said, love Love your God with all of your heart. But then he moves on and says, now love him also with your soul. If you've been around church at all, you've heard this word soul probably your entire life. It's one of those churchy words that we sing about and we talk about. And, and But at the very core of what it is, really, it's the soul is our core. It's what drives our decisions. It's what drives our lifestyles. It's what drives our behavior. And so, but how does the heart and the soul differ? You see, Loving God with our heart deals with our affections. We just talked about that. But loving God with our soul deals with our devotion. So how do we love God with all of our soul? First of all, I think practically we love God with all of our soul when we devote our choices to him. Like when we have choices, we frame them up. Like how does this line up with what God has for us? So we, if you think about it, life is made up of full of choices. I have four boys, a little girl, uh, but when my boys were, were young. I, I constantly remember saying this as a parent, and you probably have said this too. Remember to make good choices. That's or that wasn't a very good choice. You could, and so you you talk about choices even as a young kid, and, and choices are in play in life even as a young kid, and they don't end until you're dead. You make choices all your entire life, but. How you frame up your choices is how you truly love God with all your soul because it shows what you're devoted to. In other words, every choice we make comes from the depths of what we treasure. Again, it goes back to the heart. Heart that that holds our affections and holds what we treasure drives our choices. 
It all goes together. If we treasure our relationship with the Lord, our choices will simply mirror that treasure. Choices flow from what we treasure the most. Third is love the Lord your God with all of your mind. So we love him with our heart, which drives loving him with our soul, and now we love God with all of our mind. We worship him with our mind. See, God's all given us all a mind, right? He's what he's given us, and he's called us to love him with our mind. And as a believer, though, we don't have a normal mind. We have what Scripture says as a renewed mind. Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we are constantly, church, we are constantly pushing our minds to the kingdom of God. We are constantly trying to focus our heart, our mind and our heart and our soul, but our, specifically our mind on the kingdom of God. Colossians 3.2 sums it up. It says, so set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. So practically, church, how do we do this? How, how do we set our minds on things above and not on things of this earth? Well, I think about this. I think practically we constantly need to be reminded that of the cross. Constantly think about the cross. Now I know that's not we're not always going to be thinking about the cross, but when we when we when we wake up in the morning, what's our first thought? It's always about our day. But what about if we just stopped and gave thanks that morning for the cross? What if we took a minute and we just paused our day and said, "You know what? I wouldn't I wouldn't even have the breath in my lungs today without the cross." One of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of C.J. Mahaney, and C.J. wrote a book called The Cross-Centered Life. And in that book, he's made one statement that just wrecked me the first time I read it, and I love it. It says, the cross-centered life is filled with cross-centered days. Let me say that again. The cross-centered life is filled with cross-centered days. You see, Easter, Easter is not the only time, church, that we are supposed to come together and actually remember the cross. If anything, Easter is the culmination of us as the church and as believers thinking about the cross all year long, all year long and celebrating the fact that he is alive. Think on the cross. Collectively, though, church, one way we can remember and, 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 and think and, and, and love God with all of our mind is the idea of communion. Jesus gave us this beautiful ordinance of communion. It's one of the greatest exercises of remembrance that we have. And so we're going to talk about loving God with all of our mind, with all of our mind, then one way we do that is by remembering his sacrifice. We take that that idea of, of thinking on the cross and we shift it to this idea of remembering the sacrifice that he gave for us. And so Jesus gave us this exercise of communion. He called us to remember his broken body and his, and his poured out blood for our sin. In fact, 1 Corinthians 11, 26 says this. He's, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I know that we've been scattered as a church for a good bit. Uh, and even as we come together, I pray that's something that we would, would, would cherish even more, that as the church come back, comes back together, that we would take a minute and remember the cross and remember the sacrifice through this, through this beautiful exercise called communion, this beautiful ordinance of communion that reminds us and calls us to remember until he comes for us. By pursuing his word, by remembering his sacrifice, we are driven to love God with our minds. So we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our minds. And the last one is this, that we're to love God with all of our strength. This is what I think about when I think about loving God with all of our strength. It means that us as believers, 
that our life is all in to the things of the kingdom. So everything, our abilities, our talents, our finances, our, our, talent, our resources, our time, we are, we are a part of the all-in community that says, you know what, it's all about the kingdom, it's all about him, we're going to devote our lives to it. See, when we do this collectively, when all of us individuals come together and we do this collectively as the church, we become the most unstoppable force this planet has ever seen. You want to talk about uh, people pushing out hope to a world that needs hope? It's when we become all in and we love God with every bit of us. We love God with all of our strength, which means we're all in from the top down. So how do we do this, though? What are tangible ways that we can do this, church? Well, the church is the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the hands and feet of Jesus, which means that we are there to serve and to love the people around us. So we think about this, we serve our city. So you, as Austin Life Church, you are called to love and to serve and, and to push out hope to the city of Austin and beyond there. But you're also called to take the word of God and take that hope that we celebrate and sing about and, and talk about often around the world. Maybe on a short-term mission trip, maybe on a long-term mission trip. That's loving him with, as hands and feet of the church. That's loving him with all of our strength. That's saying, you know, we're all in. Even out of our comfort zone, we're all in. We're going to love him. We're going to love God. We're going to worship God with all of our strength. I love the summary of this. It's, it's, it's simply this. mission. That kind of idea of missions is, is, is serving around the world and across the street. Serving around the world and across the street. And that really takes us to the second part of the commandment that I love to just spend a few minutes talking about. You see, Jesus quoted the Shema and gave this very obvious answer to the scribe, but then he, he decided to tack on something new to it. And that's where I love to take us here, just at, at verse 31. Verse 31 says this. This is Jesus talking still. He says, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself because in, uh, you should love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You see, the scribe asked Jesus, hey, what is the greatest commandment? He was looking for a singular commandment, just one. But Jesus, and how he does things, right, he gives them two. He gives them two. He says, the second is this, you shall love the Lord, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I've just told you to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now I'm going to tell you, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other greater commandment, singular. He gives them one commandment made up of two things. He combines this idea because, in essence, the two ideas must go together. They can't be separated. You have Your love for your neighbor, your love for man, it grows out of a love for God. So, so who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? Who, who are we going to call our neighbor these days? See, in the Jewish culture back then, your neighbor was anybody else who was a Jew. That's who you called your neighbor. That's who you would go the extra mile for was a fellow Jew. But again, in Jesus and how he likes to shake things up, he changes up the game a little bit. And he says, no, love your neighbor means that we are going to love people no matter their race, no matter their religion, no matter their gender, no matter their social status, no matter their economic status. Jesus was calling us and calling that church at the time, but he's also calling us to love God, first part, but also to love all people, to love God, but to also love all people. The truth of the matter is we can't separate them. When we truly love God, then loving people simply flows out of that. 
you know, I've studied this this passage for a while, and I've actually taught this here at my church and a few other times, and I normally would put a bow on it at this moment and wrap it up. But about a year ago, I taught this here at my church, and uh, I did the thing that I probably should have been doing a long time ago, and I just kept reading. I kept reading past verse 31, and I remember reading it last year, and God just began to knock my socks off with what I read. And I want to read this part, and I want to kind of put a bow on it and issue a challenge to where we're going to go with this today. Verse 32 says this. So Jesus just told, you know, given us the greatest commandment here, and then the scribe interjects back, and he says this, verse 32. You are right, teacher. You have truly said that God is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any other questions. I love that. No one dared ask him any other questions after the scribe and him had this conversation together. And I want us again to camp back at, at, at verse 33. And, to lo- and this is what the scribe is saying again. And to, and to love God with all of your heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, all of that is much more than burnt offerings and sacrifices. So the scribe is getting it. Like it's clicking in his head. I, okay, so all of loving God with all of my heart and strength and mind and soul and, like, and, and my neighbor you're saying that's so much more than just the rituals that I do. And Jesus says, you are, you are so close to the kingdom of God right now. And no one else asked him a question. He was simply, what, what the scribe was simply doing is he was putting two and two together again. He was reaching back to that Davidic Psalm back in Psalm 51 that says, for you do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. I want you to grab this this morning as we close. If you, if you desire, church, to understand what true biblical worship is, then you have, to, you have to understand that it's more than just coming on a Sunday morning. Don't get me wrong. The gathered church on a Sunday morning is an amazing, powerful picture of the bride. We sing together, we are expressive together, we open the word together, we fellowship together, we have community together. Do not forsake that. But what that is on Sunday morning church is simply an overflow. It's simply the extra overflow that bubbles out of us after living a week of loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. So here's here's the challenge I want to leave you with this morning. None of us have all this together. So just take a deep breath this morning and go, okay, none of us have this together. Not, not me, not my church, not your pastors, not my pastors, not my family, not your family. We're all on this journey together. We are constantly working this out day by day, what it means to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to worship him with our heart, to worship him with our soul and our mind and our strength. So take a breath knowing that we're all working on toward this idea together. But I would love for you to go home today if you're not at home or if you're, you know, as, as we wrap up today in this service. And maybe just ask yourself the question, maybe ask the people around you that you're watching this with, if you're watching it with you, go, what, is, what are the areas that I'm lacking in loving God with? Am I lacking him, loving him with everything in my affections, 
with all of my soul and my devotions and my mind and my renewing my mind every day to, to think on him? Am I an all-in person when it comes to his kingdom? Am I loving my neighbor, no matter his race, his or her race, religion, status, are we loving our neighbor as ourselves? Because when we do all of these, when we strive to do all of these, we are worshiping God with our whole heart as a response for what he's done for us. So Father, this morning, I ask you to take these words, these scriptures, this teaching, Father, and you just begin to permeate the heart of each one of us and challenge us, God. Not for the sake of just trying to be a better person, God, but truly to be a more devoted follower of who you are, Jesus. So illuminate in our hearts and minds how we are to respond to this this morning. We're grateful for your son, Jesus. Your name I pray, amen. I love you, Austin Life. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.